0: We were praying before the service in the kitchen and I was just, you know, praying and just saying, and this is what I want to say to us here, just forget about whatever plans you've got after this tonight or getting home to cook or do whatever and just set this time aside for the Lord Um, because, you know, sometimes we can get flustered and we're busy or we've got things to do. And you know what, if you're too busy to just sit under the Word or to sit with the Lord, whether it be in your private times, then you're just too busy full stop. So I just want you just to still yourselves before the Lord and just sit in and relax. I'll make it worth your while for coming. I won't be too short. Okay. You made all the effort to come out, so I need to at least give you, you know, (laughs) a good chunk of my time. Sam asked before, is your sermon unusually long or anything? Should I cut out? And I'm like, we don't cut anything out. Do what, you know, is planned to do. But no, it's not that long. All right. So do you know any of these names? Okay, unfortunately, because of the podcast these days, I'm going to have to try and say them. If it wasn't for the podcast, I wouldn't even make an effort. But I figure that you wouldn't be able to say it better than me, hopefully. But if anyone would like to try. So Shamua, Shafat, Igal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Seher, Nabi, and Gil. Okay, I probably said them hopelessly wrong. But I don't think that, I haven't really heard of um, any children running around, many children running around with any of those names. We do have a lot of weird names today, but, um, so I don't think there's many. But these were a very special group of men, and they were chosen for a very special task. This is what the Bible says about them. All of them were leaders of the Israelites, and the Amplified puts it like this. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader or head among them. Oh yeah, Crystal, you smiling. Do you fancy any of those names for your baby? <laughs> All right, so on the basis of those words in scripture, we could make a totally reasonable assumption that these men were seemingly men of substance, men of character. And you know, this is what we need to be for the days that are lying ahead. Um, to be able to withstand deception, both from outside the church and within the church, and especially a lot of the Bible's warnings about the falling away that is going to take place in these last days. We need to be men and women of character and faith who will not shrink back, no matter what the cost. Now, to get back to those 10 men, that wasn't the complete group of men selected for a special purpose. There were two more, and I'm sure you know them. And do you know of anyone today that has these names? Right, Joshua and Caleb. So already you can even see the legacy that they have left. And, you know, there's a lot of Joshua and Calebs out there today. And by now you will, of course, have realized that these 12 were the 12 men sent by Moses on God's instruction to spar out or to scout out the promised land. Numbers 13, 1 to 3. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So they went at God's command and listened to the report that they brought back after they'd spent 40 days spying out or scouting out the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey here is its fruit and it tells us earlier that they uh, you know they cut off a bunch of grapes and it was so big that two of them had to carry it on a pole between them so they brought some of that back to show how bountiful this land was Now I want you to look at the next word that comes out of their mouth. After they've just acknowledged it does flow with milk and honey, and those words had come earlier from God. God told them, I'm giving you a land that flows with milk and honey. So they're actually saying this. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Now look at the very next word that comes out of their mouth. But the people who live there are powerful And the the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. So they acknowledged that the land flows with milk and honey. They knew that God had promised them this land. So what happened? But is what happened. And you know what I always say about but, don't you? There's no buts and ifs when it comes to the word of God. And God had told them about this land. They took their eyes off God and instead they looked at man and fear took over. Now, let's read what Caleb said when he spoke up in spite of what the 10 were saying. Caleb said this in Numbers 13, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You know, just after um, Selah in 2010, at a meeting, David asked us to just give in one word what we believe God was saying to us. I mean, seriously, David, one word. For me to give you in one word what I believe God's saying, it's not going to happen, one word. But anyway, I went before the Lord and I got six words and two numbers. And this was the statement that I got from the Lord. Be one of the two, not the ten. Be one of the two, not the ten. And I'd been reading numbers the week before and so immediately I knew what he was referring to. And then, you know, as I pushed in and prayed about it, I believe God told me that we need to not focus on what or who we are, or rather what we are not and what we don't have. And, you know, this at the time was for the congregation, but I believe it's also always relevant for us as individuals as well. And don't focus on the enemy or the giants, and to keep our focus on him and who he is. We're not to think, how is this possible? Because you know what? It's not possible if you're looking at people. It's not possible, but you have to look at who he is. And so, you know, after getting that word, naturally, I went back into the word to go and look at the two and to see what it was that actually made them different. The two who entered the promised land, what makes a two? You see, there were only two out of the 12 who entered and lived in the promised land. And not only did the 10 that came with the negative report not enter, but they didn't even live long enough to wander in the desert for 40 years. Numbers fourteen thirty six to 38 says, So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. You know, and I'm positive all of us here would want to be counted and remembered as one of the two and not the ten. And so it's really important for us to look at this so that we can see what makes the two, so that we can apply that to our own lives. So remember, all 12 men were leaders, they were all chosen and sent, and all were men who had great potential. So, what was so different about Caleb and Joshua? Let's look at what the Bible says about Caleb. And this is God himself talking about Caleb. How awesome. Imagine God talking like this about you. That would just blow me away. So God says this about Caleb, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. He went to, sorry, yeah, and his descendants will inherit it. Now, there's four characteristics of Caleb that I want to draw your attention to. And the first characteristic is what God said, there, he is of a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. So Caleb and Joshua clearly had a different attitude from the 10 because they too had seen the giants. They were there as well. They sought with their own eyes, but they chose instead to keep their eyes on God, whom they believed was greater than the giants. And Caleb urged the Israelites, he says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to conquer it. And how did the negative people respond to ten? This is what they were saying: We are not able. They are stronger than we are. A different spirit. And this is, isn't this what we see in life? We have positive people, people who try to go forward, and then you get the negative people, people who contaminate everything good and positive with their bad attitudes and complaining. Joshua and Caleb reminded the others that God had promised to give them that land. And you know, we've got to cultivate, we've got to actually develop and practice maintaining a good attitude and being of a different spirit because it's not something that comes naturally to us. In fact, the opposite would come more naturally because of our sinful nature. Joshua and Caleb, however, would not allow negative, unbelieving people to affect them. And notice what I said they would not allow. You see, it's a choice that we have. Okay, it's a choice. If you are allowing negativity to affect your negative people. And it's very easy to get swept up into that. I'm sure you all know how easy it is to get swept up into being negative, into complaining. And you know, those two men, Joshua and Caleb, remained full of faith and confidence that they could conquer the enemies. It didn't matter what they had seen with their natural eyes. You see, they also saw God. They didn't just see the giants, they saw God as well. And the Bible reminds us that we need to live by faith and not by sight. And yes, it doesn't mean that we won't see difficulties and and obstacles in our circumstance, but we also need to see God as well. So the Bible tells us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and it really is down to a question of your perspective. What are you actually looking at and fixing your eyes on? And we need to keep our faith positive. We need to work at that by not letting pessimistic people steal our joy. And, you know, that's why it's so important that you need to choose carefully who you surround yourself with. You need to choose carefully who's talking into your head. Okay? And you might not even realize. I, de- I deliberately didn't say I'd normally talk about that and say choose who you allow to speak into you. But you might not even realize it. if you are just in that company, they are talking into you whether you know it or not. You need to choose who you mix with because it will affect you. The Bible's very clear on this. And you know what? All mothers can attest to this as well, you know, with your kids. Like, I don't want you playing with that kid because you actually see that transference taking place and you can pick it up. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So that's even implying that there was good character there in the first place. Okay, and the mixing that takes place, bad company corrupts good character. And Psalm one shows the artworking of that warning in, in Corinthians. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And I want you to look at that that progression that Psalm one shows you. It just starts off with walking. So you might just be on the outskirts, you know, maybe near, you know, there's a negative crowd or people, you know, um, that are mockers. You just start maybe hanging around a little bit, maybe first on the outskirts, just casually getting into their circles. And then it progresses to standing. So, you know, you might have started just walking past and maybe just starting to give an ear, and then you actually start to stop and stand in that company. And then it progresses... Um, to where you actually start sitting in that company, being around mockers, and then you actually get drawn into doing the same thing. And it's not enough to just sit in that company of mocking or gossiping or whatever and just keep quiet and think, well, that's all right because I didn't take part. You are still taking part if you're just sitting in that, even if you're not doing it yourself. So remember what I said, you need to keep your faith positive, and you do that by means of the second verse that was there, um, where it says that, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, so again, that is putting the word of God into you. Avoid negative people, don't walk, stand, or sit in their company. Now listen to this, 10 out of 12 of the spies were negative. Negative. Okay, and I worked that out. Two out of 10, six point, 16.6 recurring. Keep Sam happy here. I've got my exact things. And so I have rounded it up, Sam, to 17%. Um, and then the 10 out of the 12, 83. It's actually 83.3 if we went back to the original. But 83% of the spars said that they were not able to defeat the, the giants. And 17% believe God was greater than the problem. And you know what? God is greater, not the numbers. So Joshua and Caleb were of a different spirit. They chose not to allow negative, unbelieving people to adversely affect them. You see, it's a choice often against your emotions because it's easy to just go with the crowd and to get drawn in it. You know, your heart starts beating or you start, you know, you get all the emotions where you have to stand up and be different and take a stand. So it's a choice against those emotions. And they remained full of faith and confidence that they could conquer their enemies. And as I said before, because their eyes were not on themselves or on the problems. You see, all of the spies, including Joshua and Caleb, agreed with one thing. The giants were real. They'd seen them with their own eyes. Caleb included. So why did he say opposite to the others, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it? Caleb wasn't in denial He didn't have his head in the sand. He'd seen the giants, but he was of a different spirit because he lived by faith and not by sight. He knew God and he spoke out of that faith that he had in God and what God had promised. But you see, the others focused on the giants, and so then they panicked. And now the problem was, because they were leaders, when they panicked, it was like pushing over a line of dominoes. The whole congregation, everyone else panicked. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, it talks about around about 2 million people. And I've got a friend of mine, obviously I can't name names, but I'm sure you'll all figure out, who's recently um, just done part of his officers training in the military. And one of the things that was, um, you know, has been told to them and drummed into them is that officers do not run. They said because if an officer is seen running, the troops panic, the, you know, the others, they look at this and they think something major and something bad is going down because the officer's running. So they've had it drilled into them, no matter what the pressure or the situation, officers do not run because the troops are going to panic, the rest of them are going to panic. And that's what happened here. There was mass panic, mass stupidity. And I say mass stupidity because listen to what came out of their mouths and bear in mind everything that God had done to bring them out of Egypt. All right, so this is what they said. Numbers 14, 1 to 4, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Or in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Just think of everything God had done for them to bring them out. And they said to each other, we could choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Egypt. I just want to look at some of the highlighted things I've got in that verse just to, because you know, it's really important for us to look at this and that's why we have the word of God. Every bit of scripture is useful for us to teach us and to correct us and to exhort us and encourage us. And we need to look and make sure and learn from these lessons in history, because that is history. We all know it happened, um, to make sure that we don't sin against the Lord as they did, And in fact, the Bible tells us that we do need to do that, what I've just said to you, to take note of this event and learn from it. Because Hebrews 3, 15 to 19 says, As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So we need to take note of that. All right, so I'm going to look at some of those things. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You know, just two chapters earlier, we actually see that God had struck Miriam with leprosy because Aaron and Miriam had been grumbling against Moses. God takes it personally. When you grumble against his leaders. Chapter 12, 8 to 9 of Numbers says, um, and this was God here talking about Moses. He was rebuking Aaron and Miriam. He said, when I speak to him face to face, with him, sorry, I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And we see the same later on in chapter 16 with Korah, um, where he came out again as Moses, and he said, you know, you're not the only one who hears from God. And Moses said to Korah in verse 11, it is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Oh, yeah, Korah was grumbling against Aaron as well. Be very careful when you grumble against God's appointed leader. God takes it personally, and it makes him angry. Then they go on to say, remember I said mass stupidity, the things coming out of their mouths. They go on to say, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Seriously, what were they actually saying after everything God had shown them and done to deliver them from Egypt? This is very insulting to God. You know, and what, what might this look for, like for us? It might look like we might have had a circumstance that we've really been um, waiting a long time or praying to have changed. It might be that we've been holding out for a long awaited promise from God. And then we receive that promise, we receive the um, change in circumstance, and initially, you know, we see it as a blessing. When they came over the Red Sea, they rejoiced and they sang. The whole congregation was rejoicing and singing, and look how it's turned now. So, you know, we might reach a point where our blessing turns to complaint. And, you know, the girls, I'm sure they won't mind me sharing, Crystal (laughs) and um, Jude. But, and I think Debbie's probably involved in this as well, <laughs> um, they've got this little saying that they have amongst themselves to keep them focused on this, and they, I think they say, living the dream. So whenever they find that maybe, and I might be wrong here, I hope I'm not, but they, they might find that one of them might be feeling a bit negative or maybe starting to complain a little bit, they say, living the dream. It's just a reminder, hey... We really, you know, pray to have these children or to have this lifestyle or to have whatever. And sometimes when it gets overwhelming and they find that their blessing is turning into complaint, they just say, living the dream, just to remind themselves to refocus. And as I said, that's what the Israelites, you know, when they came across the Red Sea, they were singing and rejoicing. And, you know, it's all down to you living either by faith or by sight. Really, that's what it's all down to. You're going to be living by one or the other. And then they go further on, compounding their And Sometimes it's wise to just keep your mouth shut because the more they go and the more they say, the more they compounding it. Why is the Lord bringing us this, to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Is that what God is really doing? Didn't he promise to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey? All right, and, and you know, there they're actually accusing the Lord. They're actually saying he's brought us here to fall under the sword. And we've got to be very, very careful about what we declare out of negativity and doubt and unbelief. You know, if we've got times where we're going through that, we need to be very careful what's coming out of our mouth at that time because they are actually, you know, insulting God. And, and, and if we are declaring things out of negativity and doubt and unbelief, what we're doing is we're speaking directly against God's promises or against God himself, and that's very dangerous. Then they go on to say, Our wives and children would be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's insane. How insulting is that to both God and Moses? You know the story of Moses, what God did to prepare him and raise him up to bring in leaders, people out of Egypt. And they're saying, We should choose someone else and go back to Egypt. That is so insulting. What is it saying to God's character? You've brought us here to let us die. You know, it's totally slurring the character and nature of God. And so I just want to say, it just made me really think, you know, when I'm complaining, whatever, negativity and complaint is going to be contrary to the word. And so I'm actually insulting God and going against that. And I need to be really careful. So we really need to watch that, okay? So this mob now is getting really worked up, and Joshua and Caleb stand up to them. They try to reason with them by reminding them of the facts. And I want you to listen to what Caleb says, and he's not hammering them. He's encouraging and exhorting. This is what he says to them. He says in Numbers 14, verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them." their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Don't you think that's nice? Caleb's speaking to them really nicely. He's encouraging, exhorting. He's not hammering them and being mean. Okay, he's reminding them about the facts. Because you see, Joshua Joshua and Caleb had one focus, and that was God. And they reminded people there of what God had said and what he promised and what he would do if they trusted him. But you know what? The people wanted to be swept along in their panic. Because in direct response to this encouragement, this exhortation by Caleb, this is what they said. Numbers 4.10. So Caleb had just finished saying this. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And this is what they said in the very next verse. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. You know, they didn't want to. They did not want to, and they chose not to listen to truth, and they were resentful of anyone that was trying to reason with them. And, you know, their response reminds me of two other scriptures, Acts 7, 54, and this was um, around the stoning, when they were stoning Stephen. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. And then the other scripture, Galatians 4, 15 to 16, where then is your blessing of me now? This is Paul talking to the Galatians. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. How, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, and I've actually lived that bottom scripture a lot of times um, where I, I was just saying to someone last night that I've got cards and things that people have written to me, you know, saying how wonderful I am and all my godly qualities and whatever. And then we start getting a bit more into relationship and getting into some stuff that has to be uncovered and it turns to that. You know, sadly, you know, we've got a bit cynical, but David, you know, we've learned to like, whenever people come and they're absolutely raving about us, but you can rave about us because you know us like, like long enough now, but right at the beginning, we've learned to treat that with suspicion because it's like, those are often the people, okay, we're so wonderful until we start scratching away at your false beliefs or all the things that you don't like, and then suddenly we're not so wonderful anymore. So I really understand that scripture. You just... Sometimes can't believe how it can just turn so totally. So we see the mob mentality. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. And for what? For what? Look at what they wanted to stone them. For reminding them of truth. For reminding them of God's promises and his faithfulness. And you know, it's so easy to fall in with the negative spirit of others who are complaining and murmuring around us. And we need to choose to be like Joshua and Caleb, to be of that different spirit. We need to shun negative talk, and that might actually mean removing ourselves from certain relationship circles. Notice that word I said, shun, you know, and a lot of Christians don't like that or, you know, they don't understand discipline properly in the word, because um, there's scriptures as well that talk about this shunning where there's people that are in done and not sin, and the Bible actually says, have nothing to do with them, do not even eat with them. And it's because, it's not because, oh, we're trying to be horrible and whatever. And, you know, people will come out with the whole, what I call the false love gospel, where it's like, oh, well, I want them to at least feel someone's there for them or someone's encouraging them. But you're actually not doing them any good. The reason the Bible says that is because if they are shunned, then it's to bring them to repentance, to their senses, so that they can turn back to God. I've never yet seen a situation Um, where, you know, well, we'll still try and be there for them and do it where it's turned out positively, where the person has come to repentance. And so if we understand it properly, it's not being mean, it's not being horrible, it's because we want the person to come to their senses and repent. Um, a, A little challenge I have, I was just thinking about this, if you're losing all your friends, you need to check what's coming out of your mouth doesn't have to be bad. Maybe you actually do need to lose some of those friends. Maybe what's coming out of your mouth because it's the aroma of life and death. Maybe that's good because, you know, those people need to be out of your life. Or it might be if it's people of a certain calibre that should be in your life, maybe you need to just check what's coming out of your mouth because no one likes to be around negative, complaining people. And, you know, um, your character's known by the calibre of your friends and the calibre of your enemies, just think about that. But K- Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes before the Lord rather than fall in with that negative attitude of the others. And that's what I love when you see throughout, and that's a lesson as well, you know, for leadership and, and humility. If all throughout where, you know, where these people were grumbling against the leaders and things, the leaders still always, you see Moses time and time again actually interceding for these people with God, whereas like, I think I'd often be saying like, God, strike them down right now. Like, where are those lightning bolts? Why are they not coming? But, you know, so it's a lesson in humility for a leader. They still went before God in spite of what these people were doing and saying and fell on their faces and begged God to just, you know, spare the people. All right, but we need to ensure that we don't allow ourselves to get sidetracked and distracted by obstacles, but fall on our faces before God in humility and prayer when there's those obstacles, because it's very easy to rather just go into the complaining instead of into prayer. So you can still talk, but talk to God instead of the negative talk. And you know, when you do that, it's actually amazing to watch what God does and how He acts on your behalf. So be of a different spirit. Let go of whomever, listen to my words, whomever or whatever represents your Egypt and believe that God can and will do what he says. So God said Caleb was of a different spirit that made him a two and not a ten. The second characteristic that we see in Caleb is that he followed God wholeheartedly. And Joshua refers to this characteristic as well later in Joshua when he exhorts the people to yield their hearts to the Lord. Joshua 24, 23 says, Now then, said Joshua, Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And that yielding of your heart, that word yielding means a total submission, okay, totally giving it to God, wholehearted, total commitment. And you know, your first response when you are facing a giant needs to be to stop and think, not to panic and give way to fear. We command to love the Lord wholeheartedly, to love him with all our heart, our soul, and all of our mind. Christianity is about facts. You don't panic and switch off your mind when you're confronted by a giant. You actually need to engage your mind and get more switched on because what you believe about God is crucial in determining whether you're going to serve Him wholeheartedly. He claims to be all-powerful and He claims to be in absolute control. Do you believe this? Do you really believe with all your heart in whatever circumstance you're in that He is all-powerful and more importantly, that he is in absolute control. And if you said yes to those two questions, if you're saying, yes, I believe he is all-powerful, and yes, I believe he is in absolute control, then the next question that I want you to ask yourself is this. Does my life and do my actions actually confirm what I'm claiming to believe? All right, so if you're saying, I do believe he's in control, does my life and what others are seeing seen in my actions actually confirm that statement I'm claiming? All right, so when facing down a giant, you need to think, you need to engage your brain. You all know the scripture in Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. But I want to look at the verse that immediately precedes that. It says, Ephesians 6, 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then it goes on to say, putting on the armor. You see, you can put on the full armor, but if you're not first strong in the Lord and his mighty power, you're going down. All right. To be strong in the Lord is to know and think about his strength, his power, and his character when you face those giants, those situations, because when you do that, you're applying your faith. You're not reacting to sight to what your senses are telling you. You're reacting from faith. And the 10 were not strong in the Lord. They didn't believe wholeheartedly about God's might and power. That's why they said, we're not able. And as I said earlier, Joshua and Caleb were not in denial. They were well aware that the giants were out there. They'd seen them, but they'd also seen and knew that their God was the Lord God Almighty, and He was the biggest giant of them all, or He is. So um, you know, remember they remembered everything that they'd seen God do in bringing them out of Egypt, and they engaged their minds, not their emotions, because they forced themselves. They took their minds under control instead of panicking. And being led by their emotions, they engaged their mind to think on and remember everything that God had done. And they held those truths foremost in their minds. And that's what it is to be strong in the Lord, okay, and in his might. What about you, okay? Do you really believe, do you keep that in the foremost of your mind that he can do what he says? All right, the next characteristic that made Caleb, Caleb different was that he spoke up. He stood up against popular opinion. One mark of a good spiritual leader is his ability to stand up boldly for God's will in any situation, no matter what the cost. And, you know, to do so often requires standing against the majority, against popular opinion, and sometimes you stand alone. Okay, and Caleb and Joshua did that to see God's plan fulfilled but a faithless, doubting people refused to listen. But they believed God's promises rather than what looked like impossible circumstances, and they were willing to move forward. You see, spiritual advance requires faith. Unbelief will never see beyond the difficulties. If you want to advance spiritually, you need to, to be looking at God. Unbelief sees walled cities and giants rather than the presence and power of God. And remember, all that Caleb did was to point out the truth about God and his promises. And remember their response, they wanted to stone him. And so the mood was ugly, and they would have felt it. If you've ever been in a mob situation, um, I know that in South Africa, sometimes they have, you know, rights and stuff. But it's scary when you're in there, and everyone starts chanting and getting worked up. You can actually feel it. It's horrible. It's scary, Okay. And they would have felt that. They would have felt that mood, and yet they were willing to go against that majority and call the people to positive faith. And that is the character of men and women that are sent by God. Now, if we read on in the next verse, we see that the Lord comes to the tent of meeting to speak with Moses, and he's angry with the people. Numbers 14, 10 to 11, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? You see, it wasn't Joshua and Caleb that they were rejecting. It was God himself. And you know, if you have that understanding, I want you to use that to encourage you. If you're in a situation where you have to stand up, use that to encourage you. I know David and I use it to encourage ourselves a lot of times because a lot of times it feels personal when people come against you, but it's not actually. The sad thing is that they're rejecting God and not you, and you need to remember that, okay, and just be encouraged. Um, There's numerous examples throughout Scripture, as I've said, where God shows that rejection of his servants, he views as a rejection of himself because that's what it is. So be brave and be bold, especially if you know that God has called you to act or speak out against popular opinion as they did. Joshua and Caleb, as I said, could feel and see the ugliness and unbelief of the mob, and yet they still spoke out against the opinion of the majority. So if God's told you to do something, you need to be obedient, no matter what those around you are saying and thinking. And you need to remember in such a situation, you and God are the majority. The Bible warns us that fear of man is a snare. So whose opinions most influence your actions and your thoughts? Think how Joshua and Caleb must have felt when all they were doing was reminding them of God's promises and then they're calling for them to be stoned. Yet in spite of this, they were obedient because they knew whose opinion was the one that actually mattered. And at the end of the day, we need to remember we have an audience of one. And we'll stand before an audience of one. And you know what, I think I said this last week, but your fear of God better be greater than your fear of man. Your fear of God had better be greater than your fear of man. So to be uh, to remember, it's only God's opinion that matters. Be brave and bold as you stand ready to obey, even if it means standing up against the crowd, against majority opinion. And another thing, just because they're in the majority does not mean they are right. All right. Christianity is not a democracy. You know, um, I said this a couple of years ago, either David or I said, I can't remember which, but to someone that we had in the church at that time, they did not like that statement. They actually came out and said, I hate that statement. Christianity is not a democracy, but it's not. Just because it's the majority does not mean that they are right. So be of a different spirit, serve God wholeheartedly, stand up for what is right, even against majority opinion. And that takes guts, it takes courage, it takes boldness. As I said last week, it doesn't mean when you have to stand up and confront that you're not going to get the whole gambit of emotions. I hate it. I hate it when I know I'm going to have to go into a situation like that and, you know, I'll agonize and pray and ask the Lord and try and plead and beg every way out of it um, because I often know how the, what the outcome's going to be and he's like, just go and do it. You have to do it. And, you know, then I'll come back to him and I'll whine and I'll be like, I told you, God, that this was going to happen, that it was going to go badly. And now I've had to have all these lies and all this insult and stuff. And God said, okay, um, I think I shared this before. He said, show me where their opinion of you is. And so I went like that. And he said, show me where my opinion of you is. And I went like that. And he said, so what's the problem then? I'm like, all right, should know better by now than to argue with God, hey? All right, but it does take guts and boldness to do it. But you know what? I'd love to hear God say that about me. I'm of a different spirit. And if that's what it takes. So your fear of God had better be greater than your fear of man. Because if it's not, you will be compromising on the word of God. All right, the next characteristic of Caleb was that he had 20-20 spiritual vision. In other words, his focus was in the correct place. Ten of the spies looked at the giants... And then they looked at themselves. And they basically fainted in their minds. That's what happened. They fainted in their minds. And this is what they said in Numbers 13, 31 to 33. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explores devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. How many times have you actually found yourself saying, I oh, know, I have awe. Oh, everyone's thinking this about me, or they're thinking that about me. That's what they're doing here. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The fear of man. The big mistake was here, and remember just earlier, a few verses earlier, they were saying this is a land that flows with milk and honey, and look at the produce, and then they switched to this, all right? So they've looked at the giants, they've looked at themselves, but not once did they look at God. And in and of ourselves, we can do very little, but you know what? In Christ, we can do everything that he asks of us. But we've got to keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus and not on ourselves or on our inabilities, And you know what, that's the best method that Satan has for rendering you ineffective and useless for the kingdom of God, is to encourage you to remain focused on yourself. And another great strategy that he uses to handicap your effectiveness is to get you to start comparing yourself with others. And that's what they did there. They said, we like grasshoppers next to them. Comparisons make you feel inferior and it's going to cause you to pull away from relationships even ones that God has set up to help you grow and mature. You need to be pushing into these, not pulling away from them. The enemy wants you to compare yourself to others because then you are going to feel threatened and you will isolate yourself. And you know what? You'll never step up and step out if you keep your eyes on yourself because you cannot do it. And that's the whole point of a life of faith. We cannot, but God in us can and will. And you know, when we do something afraid and inadequate, that's how God gets the glory, okay? Because we know then it's not down to us or our own efforts. If we're able to do it in our own strength, God doesn't get the glory. And the words that those Israelites spoke revealed their total lack of trust in God. They had a negative attitude. They decided they were going to fail before they'd even started. And they were displaying an attitude that came from a wrong mindset, bad attitudes are the fruit of bad thoughts. I'm going to say that again. Bad attitudes are the fruit of bad thoughts. You need to line your thoughts up with God's word and watch how your attitude changes. Don't try and change your attitude and then think the thoughts will come. It's the other way around. You line your thoughts up with God's word and your attitudes will change. Joshua and Caleb, as I've said several times already, had seen the giants too, but they chose to keep their eyes, their focus on God, whom they believed was greater. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Don't focus on your giants, on your problems. Lift your eyes instead and focus on your giant God. You know, I've learned in God's economy, things definitely are not what they seem or look like to us from our earthly point of view. You know, some of the um, false teachings and stuff that's going on there, particularly with the prosperity teaching and stuff, if you look at that, Jesus was a failure. All right? So God's economy is total opposite. I think that's why we walk on streets of gold when we go to heaven. Total opposite to what we value and think is success. Here's the total opposite. Jesus was left with 12, and he even said to them, are you going to leave me as well? So God's economy, what it looks like, and what we consider success is totally opposite. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And there's two last points I just want to briefly mention. The first one is that possessing the land involves dispossessing the current occupants. Although God himself had promised the Israelites that land, and although it was he who instructed Moses to send in the 12 to out, they still ended up wandering for 40 years, and in the end, only Joshua and Caleb of that generation entered. You see, when God promises you something, he still expects you to go in and fight for your land. It's not going to be handed over on a silver platter. All right, the land is good. They will not go without a fight. To the Israelites, the current occupants were people. To us, it might be people, it might be situations or circumstances that we're in, or the giants could be wrong choices that we're making, or it could be the enemy coming against us. Maybe we've allowed him footholds in our lives, in our thinking due to sin, unbelief, fear, and negative confession. See, Satan is going to seek to keep you from and divert you from the good things that God has for you. Or the giants might be our own wrong choices and lifestyle that we might be keeping ourselves from entering into what God has. We've got to learn to fight for what is ours. Um, you know, it might involve fighting against yourself. Maybe it's better for a phrase that fighting for yourself, against yourself. Okay? Against your flesh, fighting to bring your thinking into line with and into submission with God's word. You might have been given prophecy and promise regarding ministry and what God's called you to do, and that's great, it's encouraging, but are you doing anything to train and prepare for it? or you're just waiting for it to one day happen. Have you taken full advantage of the opportunities around you to help you prepare? In order to possess the land, to step into promises, you need to fight, you need to engage in spiritual warfare. You need to develop the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You need to develop character. You need to have tested and proven character to handle responsibility of ministry. And that doesn't come without a fight and without great effort. You might need to deal with areas of sin in your life that are keeping you outside what God has for you. And that too involves fighting and standing and resisting, okay? And finally, we need to fight and stand up simply because we've got a fierce enemy who hates us and wants to hinder God's plan for us. Please don't ever think just because you're being obedient and um, doing all the right things that's going to be easy and smooth sailing. Joshua and Caleb did the right thing. Look what God himself said about Joshua. He said, and what a commendation is that coming from God Almighty. He said, Joshua has a different spirit and he serves me wholeheartedly. That's what God thought of Caleb. And yet they had to turn away and wander for 40 years, another 40 years. How frustrating must that have been for them? The only two that stood up and did the right thing, and they still had to go and wander for 40 years in the desert. So don't think just because I'm doing all the right thing and whatever. And, you know, often, you know, think, oh, well, because all this is going wrong, it means I'm out of favor with God or I'm in sin. Sometimes it might be, but a lot of times it's not. It's just you're working out of your character and your trial and testing, okay? Look at Job, for example. All right, God let him be tested. Right, the second thing I want to draw your attention to is the, the fact that we can determine to some extent the length of time that we're going to be wandering in that wilderness due to our attitude, the Israelites spent a lot of time grumbling and complaining and God said to them because of their unbelief they would wander in the desert. This is what he says in Numbers 13, 34. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. You know, the way we behave and our attitudes during our wilderness experience will often determine how long we're going to stay there. And I want you also to remember you've got to be really careful not to despise your wilderness experiences. Yes, if it's a desert of sin, you have to sort that out. But if it's a desert of training, do not despise it because they were whinging because they'd already had a certain amount of time, you know, that they'd come out of Egypt and God didn't just take them straight into the promised land. But you've got to remember that God had to train them, He had certain things that He had to do. He had to keep them in the desert for a certain period. I'm not talking about when they sinned now and they didn't enter. I'm talking about the period just before that. Because he needed to teach them. He needed to transition them from slavery into being free. He couldn't just take them straight out of slavery because they had a certain mindset that goes with that into the promised land. And he also needed them to face enemies. He needed them to face giants so they could learn how to fight. How else are they going to learn it? They didn't have um, Call of Duty PlayStation there to sit and learn it, okay? They had to learn it, live fire, all right? But seriously, if you think about it, you know, they saw the giants, that's the first thing, and then this is the result we get, that disobedience. But how is God going to train them to be fighters when they have been slaves, they've always been under subjection, they had to learn how to fight, but yet they despised this. They despised that time, they complained, they moaned, they frequently wanted to turn around and go back to Egypt, and you know, they also made the mistake of bringing unbelieving Egyptians out of Egypt with them. The Bible describes it like this in numbers 11:4. The rabble with them began to crave food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, "If only we had meat to eat, the rabble. I love it, the King James version refers to it as a mixed multitude." Okay, So rabble, mixed multitude, they brought out. These people contaminated them. Are you spending time with the rabble? with the mixed multitude or are you sharing your life with people who stretch you, encourage you and challenge you to grow spiritually? Because remember, if you're spending time with the rabble and the mixed multitude, it will contaminate you. We all know the illustration if I brought up a chair and stood on a chair and said to, you know, if Jude stood there and I said, you pull me down or I'll pull you up. We all know how it works, okay? Um, So you need to watch who you're spending time with. Are you sharing your life with people who stand up against the crowd and put God first? Do you have Joshua's and Caleb's in your life or do you mix with 10's? What about you? Are you a Joshua or a Caleb in someone else's life or are you a 10 who sympathizes and strokes them, comforting them in their sin, allowing them to remain in their sin? That's what I was talking about earlier where if, it, you know, if it's something that the Bible says have nothing to do, Are we comforting them or are we Joshua and Caleb's? So to be a two and not a ten, you need to be of a different spirit to the crowd. You need to serve God wholeheartedly. You need to be prepared to stand up against popular opinion no matter the cost. You need to keep your eyes fixed firmly on God, not on your circumstances. You need to possess the land. You need to fight for it, whether it be the landscape of your mind and your thoughts. You need to choose wisely who you surround yourself with. You know, and as always, I just love how the Holy Spirit works, you know, because he often just lets me happen to read a quote or something that matches perfectly with the message that I'm preparing. Of course, we know it's not just chance that I just happen to read it. He lines it up. And earlier this week on Facebook, I read a quote by Derek Prince. It it, it was an actual word that he delivered in a teaching on holiness. It was a word he got from the Lord to tell that congregation. And it just lines up so well with this that I want to leave you with it. But when I read this to you, he talks about talking, and I want you in your head to remember that talking includes self-talk, okay, what you're saying to yourself in your mind. Sometimes it might be you confessing negatively to other people, it might just be your own thoughts that you've got all these negative thoughts that you're entertaining, and, you know, often coming out of your mouth as well. Here's the quote, well, the word that he brought. I feel that the Lord showed me that there are a number of you here. If you look back on the past, it's a series of negative confessions. You've been talking about what you could not do. You've been talking about your failures. You've been talking about your disappointments. You see, your confession determines where you go. There's a very vivid example of this in the story of the 12 spars whom Moses sent into the promised land. Two came back with a positive confession, 10 with a negative And the majority of the adult Israelites believed the negative confession. The negative confession was we cannot. The positive confession was we are well able. And they all settled their destiny by their confession. Those who said we cannot could not. And those who said we are well able were well able. And that was the word that he brought So my final challenge tonight to you is this. What's coming out of your mouth? Because this is directly affecting both your daily life and your destiny. They all settle their destiny by their confession. Numbers 14, 28. This is what the Lord said at the end of all this complaining. And where, you know, that passage I broke down where it showed you all the things they were saying. We should have gone back to Egypt. We should have died in the wilderness. This is what God said. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Thank you.